We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello again, everyone. I am here with uh, international master, pro chess league commissioner, U.S. chess school founder and sometime teacher, and friend philadelphia 76er fan greg shahadi what's going on greg what's going on how are you so I'm, many titles oh yeah yeah man you've been a busy guy well not oh. really but but you managed to get to gather some titles and uh i know you've been busy greg getting ready for the pro chess league um we are going to talk about a lot of topics but uh the, we're timing this so that it comes out right before the pro chess league resumes. So um, why don't you tell our listeners, I think a lot of us are familiar with how it works, but what are the biggest changes going into this second season? Okay. So the pro chess league, the first year went really well. We had lots of the top players in the world playing Magnus Carlsen, Wesley. So Fabiano Caruana, et cetera. Uh, but we had some problems also. Uh, and one of the biggest complaints from fans 
was that it was very hard to find like centralized information on the league and to like properly follow the games and to know exactly what was going on all the time. So we've overhauled, well, we've created a website, prochessleague.com. We've totally overhauled it. Uh, there's a team page for every page, lots of information. I mean, basically, we're just going to have as much information as possible and as quickly as possible. So, like, when a match ends, we want to have a news report on that match, like, within a half hour or maybe within an hour. I don't want to promise too much. Um, so that's, like, one really big change that everyone's been calling for. And another one is we've kind of, what's it called, retracted the league? When you have, like, less... Less teams? Contracted, I believe. Contracted, okay. So last year we had like 48 teams. It was a bit too many. Some teams were uncompetitive. They had no chance to compete, and the match was over before it began. Man. And I feel like match... It was I'm a little sorry. bit mean, but okay. I'm sorry, but it, you know it's true. When one team's rated 2,200 and the other's 2,500, there's no chance to win. Um, so now we have a 32-team league. Uh, super competitive. Almost any team can compete with any other team. And the way it works is at the end of the season, the bottom two teams in each division will kind of be like removed from the league and there'll be like a qualifying process to get back in. So this keeps it like it's just super competitive all around. Uh, and I don't know, I, I just like that all of the teams like can dream about winning and there's no more like easy matches for anyone. Yeah, and there'll be 16 matches on a given game day. Like on- uh, that is that is correct. And like a normal game day, there'll be four sessions, four different chess.com shows with different hosts, and each each show will have four matches. So like four times four, sixteen. And it'll go all day from like eleven AM Eastern to about like a little past midnight. Yeah, pr- so- pretty exciting stuff. And I know you guys last year you had some tremendous big shots playing, and this year you've got at least as many, if not more, tremendous big shots. So, Would you like me to name the big shots? I, of course. <laughs> All right. Well, we have this guy, Magnus Carlsen. He's going to play. Mm-hmm. We have this guy, uh, MVL, Maxim Vachier-Legrave. Uh, new player we have is Vichy Anand. So he's joined the Mumbai Movers. We the, re- have... the resurgent Vichy Anand. Oh, yeah. This guy's on fire. Amazing performance. Uh, and, and you know he won the Rapid Championship. The Pro Chess League is all rapid play. So. Yeah, it's amazing that such an old man can, can be so sharp. Well, he's not that old, is he? Yeah, I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to guess exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I would, he's like, I would he's guess like 46, but, you know, no fact checkers here. So he, He's somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't like to, I like to like not worry about age too much because uh, I feel like once you start thinking about it, it affects... Uh, Oh, yeah. You had a tweet about that. But, you know, I'm a sports fan. The thing is, like, okay, I mean, Tom Brady is pushing the boundaries a little bit in football, which mm-hmm. which we both barely follow. But, I mean, Father Time is undefeated. You know, who are we kidding? It's true, but I think you can fight against it by not paying any attention to it. I mean, yeah, like, at some point, I'm not, like, you know, when I'm, like, 105 years old, I'm not going to just gain 300 rating points. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that the more you, you talk about how aging is going to hurt you, the, the more likely it is to do so. Right. So I try to ignore it, even though I know that it, I know technically, you know, it's, it's true. But like, I haven't felt like I've gotten any weaker at chess yet. Well, you barely um, play, so that, that's, true, a, that's know, a good like, trick for not getting weaker. It's, but like online blitz and stuff. Or, no, I hear you. Okay, but let's get back to the pro chess league. Oh, sure, sure. So the young Vichy Anand is, is playing. We have uh, Hu Yifan. 
Nice. She's going to be playing for the Montreal Chess Bras, who lost their top player, Fabiano Caruana, because he, he jumped bait, uh, jumped ship over to the St. Louis Archbishops last year. Yeah, champion. that was a bit of a Yankee-esque move, New York Yankee-esque move by the St. Louis know, Archbishops. I mean, <laughs> you know, honestly, that team has a lot of resources. And yeah. They're good at getting what they want. I yeah, think. I'm friendly with uh, with Isaac Steinkamp, the manager of the, mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh Pawn Grabbers, and he was lamenting that uh, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, I mean, this is true of a lot of sports leagues, but all teams may be created equal, but some are a little more equal than others, right? It's it's true. I mean, that's why we have this rating cap, because otherwise, they, you know, certain teams could just buy all the best players, and it wouldn't be that interesting. So, yeah, they're good, St. Louis, but they're not invincible because there is a 2500 rating cap okay so who else is on their team well they also have a vladimir fedosiev oh, uh, nice. i think he's tied for first in the rapid and lost the tie break is yeah young young up-and-comer yeah. i mean he's already <laughs> arrived in one sense but he's still improving yeah so he's very strong and he's probably on the team so that when fabiano is playing like tata steel or, or the candidates that he'll be ready to, to be a fill-in. And, and, you know, he's a pretty strong fill-in to have. Yeah, you could say so. Uh, and then they have, like, a bunch of just grandmasters on boards two and three. They have um, Vladimir, uh, sorry, Verusha Nakobian. They have Darius Fierce. I'm not sure I pronounced that right. They got Alejandro Ramirez. Uh, Do they still have like, Wesley So? Or was that the I, other? The, Wesley <laughs> So is currently not on a roster this year. Wow. I'm, I'm not sure the reason. Maybe he's just so focused on the candidates that he doesn't want any distractions. I don't know. Maybe he'll sign with somebody later. But at this moment, he's not on a team. Okay. And how does like the given lineups work? So you have a roster that is uh, has many more players than you'll field in a given match. So what are mm-hmm. the rules for like? Can you just play your top four players, or how does that work? Well, well, you have to have a, a rating, average rating under twenty five hundred FIDE in a given match. match. Correct. Okay. So, like, sure. the weeks where Fabiano can't make it, they can fill in a, a higher lower board, higher rated lower board. Well, not actually, not exactly. Uh, because there are, some, there are some things we've done to make it useful to have the best players in the world. Like, let's say it was just 2,500 average rating and that's it. Then you could make an argument that having Magnus Carlsen on your team and then having to put a lower rated player on board four... It's not any better than just having a bunch of 2,500, you know? Right. So we obviously want the best players in the world to play. So we have to do something to combat that so that it's clear that Carlson is useful. Uh, so what we've done is the most anyone's going to count for towards the average rating is 2,700. So like Magnus, he's 28, whatever, 50 or 30. He's only going to be considered a 2,700 player. So okay. that means, you know, you're getting a, a discount. So same thing with Caruana and Fedosiev. They're both above 2,700, which means they're both going to count as 2,700 exactly. So there's actually no difference between them in terms of who else you can have playing. Okay, so their strongest team would have them both, really, like when the championship comes around because because they it's both possible. they both are basically coming at a discount. So, so where would you guys... It's actually not so clear, actually. Just that question's interesting because in their particular case, it's not so clear because they have a, a strong young female player too. And we also give bonuses to women because we just want more women to be playing so in the who, league. who is she? What's her name? Uh, Annie Wang. Okay. And she won the world under 16 girls championship in like dominant style. And her rating that we used from like a few months ago, it's like 
300 or 200 points lower than her actual current rating. Okay. So she's also going to be a really and key does she player. get a discount on top of that? What what is the like? She gets a lot of a lot of discounts basically. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, she you know I, I don't know exactly what her rating is for the league, but uh, she's going to be a valuable player so, for any team. But do you remember? She, do you remember the formula for like? Out- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is what makes St. Louis such a good pro chess league team. Uh, every team can have one player in each match who is not from the area at all, right? So Annie Wang, she's not from St. Louis at all. They looked at probably every player in the world, and they were like, who is the best, you know, like lower-rated player to put in our team? And they recruited her from California. And I think other teams aren't doing that. They're only recruiting, like, top GMs. Um, The formula is uh, whatever, like, if if you're rated, like, 2,300 as a woman player it'll just count as 2200 towards the average rating and the only reason we do that is because we just want more women in the league and we want to encourage teams to recruit women and that's worked uh, it's obviously worked in this case so it's just your rating minus 100 for a, a woman player okay and i know you guys you and uh the team at chess.com have been hard at work design like trying to think of uh how to optimize this league, basically, you know, within mm-hmm. the, within the resources that you have, trying to make it as entertaining as possible for the viewers. So, like an idea like that to try to compel, uh, you know, world class players and women players to play. Like, how long does it take from when you have the germ of the idea where we need to incent people to do this to where you settle on the solution? So you're talking about last year or this year? This like year. New, new changes? I mean, like with, yeah, with a change like that, like you say, first you say, okay, you know, you go to Danny Wrench or, uh, you know, the whole brain trust or whoever and say like, all right, we need to incent the Magnus Carlsons to play. How do we do that? And how much batting around does it take to come up with an idea like that? Not too much. I mean, I have this obsession with, I don't, I think the rest of the chess world lacks with incentives. Mm-hmm. Uh, And, like, incentivizing everything. And that's the only way to get it done. So, like, if you want more women to play, you have to give an incentive. Or it's just not going to happen. If you want people to look for the best players, you have to, you know, create some reason why they're more valuable. Um, So, whenever there's an issue, we just, you know, create some clear incentive to fix that issue. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. it's It's another thing with, like, draws. Like... If you want less draws, you have to create some kind of clear incentive to stop them from happening. You guys didn't do that, though, did you? I mean, other than the time control. Oh, no. No, we didn't. But, I mean, I, I've noticed, like, you can't just ask nicely in right. general. <laughs> you know? This is never going to work. Okay. So, one last point on the Pro Chess League. And, uh, by the way, we should tell listeners, I mean, I think we're going to release, we have to talk offline about when to release this. But mm-hmm. the plan is to release it a day or two early so that people can listen to this, get fired up. You know, prepare their excuses for calling in sick from work and then watch on Wednesday. Um, Thursday this week. Thursday? Thursday. Man, I'm confused. It's because Tata Steel is running at the same time. And we're hoping that, you know, like, first of all, we don't want to compete with a tournament of that level. And if we have it on Thursday, who knows? Maybe some of the players in Tata Steel will even play in the match during their off day. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, this... I was saying on Twitter last night, I mean, the smaller scale tournament down in Charlotte with uh, YouTube darling John Bartholomew and some other people playing. And then Tata Steele is going to be interesting. And I'm psyched about the field. Like, it's not just the same 10 people. Um, 
like uh, Gawain Jones and some other folks are, you know, going qualified for the top section, but the top section okay. should be interested. And then we'll have the pro chess league. So banner week it's, for watching chess. It's going to be a lot of chess. Yeah. yeah. It's going to go for two weeks, Tata Steele. And both times we're synchronizing with their rest day so that whenever there's a day off, you actually don't get a day off. You get to watch us all day. Nice. Uh, maybe not so nice for my kids, but uh, <laughs> nice for you guys. All right, so last thing on Pro Chess League, at least I think the last thing, uh, Super Saturday. That's a new oh, edition. Yeah. What is it? Oh, it's very exciting. <clears throat> um, so there is an issue where, like, so you have these four divisions. They're based on time zones. And everyone plays everyone else in their division. That was, like, how we did it last year. And then we had one match where you played somebody outside of the division. And it was just really unfair when, like, one team would play, like, a really good team from another division, and then another team would play, like, one of the weakest teams. Like, it totally skews the the fairness of the league. So what I wanted to do was think of a way where you could play teams outside of your division, uh, have it be fun and interesting, but also completely fair. And that's what we've done. So, like, let's say you have two eight-team divisions. They're going to play in one day, you're gonna like, like the, the league works where you play a, a match against another team and it's four on four, and everybody plays everyone for a total of sixteen games. The Super Saturday will be eight teams against eight teams from the other division, and you play one single four game match against each team from the other division in one session. And then we add up everyone's scores at the end, and you get like wins and losses based on how many points you get. So it's just a way to get uh, get a chance to play almost every team in the league at least once. Okay. Yeah, and I'm sure that uh, some fans will appreciate that it's not all during the week. I mean, I'm sure like people have different schedules, so it's nice to... Yeah, to yeah those it. are on Saturdays. Actually, one of the matches is on Sundays. But. Okay, well, that works too. Um, okay, Greg, anything else we need to know about the Pro Chess League uh, leading I mean, into I the could, season? I could talk about it for hours, but basically you should just all watch it. I think it's going to be super exciting this year. Check out ProChessLeague.com. Look around. There's a lot of, lot of information and cool stuff there. Uh, you can follow Team's Twitter, Twitter handles on there also. You can find them very easily. Okay, yeah. So I, and, I, and I just want to throw in a plea too. I mean, like, this is a – if you're listening to this podcast, presumably you're a chess fan. So, I mean <clears> – <throat> You know, I think most people here, most listeners would enjoy the Pro Chess League, probably almost all of them. But even if you don't, it's uh, it's unequivocally good for chess to have this. So, you know, put it on in the background on your computer if you're, uh, you know, even if you're not able to watch, like support it however you can, because, um, you know, this is a, a great endeavor. And, I'm, you know, I've known you since, obviously, since you started the, the U.S. Chess League back in the day. And to see it mm-hmm. reach this scale is an, an amazing thing. And we want to keep the ball rolling. So, well, uh, thank you. Yeah. No, of course. It's um, exciting stuff. Oh, oh, I do have one more I did question. I have one more thing about the Pro Chess League. So do I. But you go first. Yeah, all right. Well, we're actually having an all-star game this year, which we didn't do last year. Oh, fine. And I think that's going to be cool. The format of it's going to be really cool. Uh, it hasn't been announced yet, but it's going to be fun. And it's like two. It's going to be about two months after the season, and it's going to take like sixteen players from the league to play a fun event. Nice. Yeah, I actually had two questions. So the season, like you guys are just doing one season a year, right? At the moment, yes. Okay, because I was a little surprised. Uh, it seems a little short uh, the season. How do you decide on the duration? Well, chess.com, you know, they're a big site. They do a lot of really cool things, a lot of cool events like the, um, oh my God, I'm going to forget the name of it. Is it just the Blitz Speed Chess Championships? 
Yeah. Um, they, <clears throat> and I know they're adding like even more events like the Fisher random championships and probably other things I'm forgetting about right now. So like, you know, we're working with them and we're trying to find a way to fit into their schedule as, as gracefully as possible. And so if we just lasted too long, then they wouldn't be able to devote resources to some of these other super cool events. Okay. And so I think like three months is, is good considering like, you know, these top players, they may get fatigued at some point. They have a lot of tournaments to play in. We want to make sure they have energy to play for the duration of the season. Okay. So I guess that's my answer. And we're going to have qualifier events too. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and I know there's such interest. Like, there's so many teams on the outside looking in now. So yeah. I think it's uh, good that you guys have um, created scarcity. Uh, and I do think it'll be more compelling. I mean, 16 games a week is a, a good amount. Um, there's just so much chess when it's actually happening. Um, mm-hmm. And one last question. Well, let's just hit this one quickly. Um, I know since we've had a couple of the announcers on Perpetual Chess, um, I know of a few of them, but can you just rattle off the announcers oh, that, yeah. uh, that so you know the, of? The, the, the main announcers, um, the first show, uh, forgive me if I get this wrong, but it's Simon Williams and Anna Rudolph. I believe you've had them both in your show, yeah, correct? Yeah, two, two for two. Keep going. Second show, I'm pretty sure you've had both of these two, is Jen Shahadi and Lawrence Trent. Yep, four for four. Oh, man. Uh, the next show is Danny Wrench and Robert Hess. Have you had Robert? Yes, I have. You s- wow. Got to listen, six you for- slacker. I'm sorry. I know you had Danny. <laughs> yeah. So six for six. And let's see the last show is uh, David Proust and Ben Feingold. Boom. Eight for eight. Wow. And then we're going to have some others who are definitely going to do some shows as well. Irina Crush, Jesse Cry. Um <clears throat> I can't remember. But, like, you know, not everyone's going to be available for every show. Poor, gonna... poor Irina must be feeling quite left out. She's yeah. probably just <laughs> beside herself right now. Yeah, it's not for lack of trying. But, uh, okay. but um, yeah, we love uh, all of those people have been great guests. And I know and I've I've watched them all announce and they're, you know, chosen for a reason. Oh, and as, yeah. uh, and uh, Feingold said he might do some. So I don't know if that's. Oh, he's it. Feingold. Yeah, he's on. He's one of the main hosts of the, the Late Late Show. Okay, the late late show with Ben Feingold. It's fitting, (laughs) basically the Pacific time zone. Okay, Pacific division. So okay, so we got to move on, Greg. Let's lighten things up a little bit. Um, Let's do it. You're such a popular guest. I know that you got very excited when I I shared with um, the Patreon supporters uh, who the top, who the most popular guests were, and you were third, and you know the crowning achievement in your life. So you blew up my spot and retweeted that, retweeted Mm -hmm. that on Twitter. But I got bad news for you, Greg. You got zero questions from the support. No one cares about you. So either that or you're just such, a, such an open book. I mean, that, uh, you know, they're probably tired of me because I, I did that show already. And then I uh, did that preview show last year. So yeah. like, why is this guy on the show again? Yeah. But, but you know, like the first time I was on, you were like a total noob. You didn't know how to do this. <laughs> I'm still on. Uh, now you're like a professional. You know, you have the eh, questions prepared. and Probably about a 2100 <laughs> 20, podcast host now. But yeah. at least I haven't hit the plateau yet. I'm still getting better, I think. Um, okay, no, crushing it. Okay, well, thank you. You're too kind. I mean, if maybe my Hess, if you listen to the Hess interview, maybe you'd have a different story. What happened there? I'm just kidding. But if you don't listen, oh. you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to quite a few of them. You know, it's just like uh, a lot. You I know, know you're a like, busy right? guy, and you with your like yeah. non-working, non-commuting life, you're not the podcast demographic. Like, yeah. you, you know, you don't you don't take public transportation much. You you don't have to go to any offices <laughs> like the rest of us schlubs. 
So yeah. um, it's uh, not the most natural fit for you. But anyway, okay. Luckily, I was able to scrape some comments from your YouTube page. So while I didn't get any questions, no. I-, <laughs> I got some good comments here. And as we know, the best and the brightest gather to comment yeah. on YouTube pages. So okay. So here we go from uh, Bazaar of the Nihilist. Bazaar, he's the best. Okay. I love Bazaar. <laughs> so, ba- <laughs> so Bazaar of says... Uh, why don't you make more Blitz Chess videos, Greg? What's wrong with you? Your last five-minute Blitz video was like a month ago. Come on, Greg. Don't be so lazy. If it's too hard for you, at least make videos in every four to five days. It shouldn't be so hard. Come on, Greg. Make more Blitz bullet videos. Wake up. You need discipline, Greg, with a whip. Crack, crack, snap. Come on. Play chess. Crack, crack. Entertain me. Snap. Oh. How do you defend yourself against this charge? It's no defense. I deserve the whip. Yeah, I mean, and you're kind of stagnating. I know we, you were my very first guest, and we were marveling at your, like, I think it was six or 7,000 YouTube followers, and you have 9,000. That's, like, healthy growth, but I think if you actually made videos, you might have even more. Well, hold on. I've gained, I'm gaining people without even doing any work now, so that's, I feel, like, really impressive. <laughs> I did have a video I posted where I, I lost to Christopher Yu. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and it got, like, many hundreds of thousands of views, so I was happy about that. Yeah, he's like uh, people love it when the children beat me for some yeah. reason. And the children are, are amazing at the chess and we'll we'll get to that in a second. Oh, okay. Yeah. So basically you have no defense. Do you have plans of uh like I'm sure you're pretty busy with the Pro Chess League right now, but do you generally have plans of like a re ramping your YouTube videos? I mean, sometimes I think about it I'm like I like to play chess and it takes ten minutes to make a video and play. <laughs> but somehow um I don't know, it hasn't happened much recently. But I'm sure it'll happen. Like sometimes I'll just go through a phase and I'll play like 10 games in a row and just spread them out over a few months. Okay. All right. But so- I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Bizarro. <laughs> yeah, he's a – so he's a frequent commenter? Yes, and they're always kind of funny. Nice. Yeah, this one, this one was enjoyable. So nicely done, Mr. Mr. Nihilist. All right. And one more comment from a um, viewer. Mike Goldberg said – Oh, no, no, not my elbows. <laughs> so, Stay away from my elbows. <laughs> wow, you, you read your comments very closely. I, well, this one's hard to forget. So he said, Greg is noticeably aging now, male, male pattern baldness turning into regular baldness, and his elbows are weakening. I mean, I'm just so obsessed with the fact that he mentioned that my elbows are weakening. I don't know what that means or why it's a thing that he would think, oh, now I'm going to type his elbows are weakening. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... There's so many things you could say other than talking about my elbow weakness. Yeah, well, a lot of what people that, came to your, your elbow's defense. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and generally, I mean, with all this CrossFit, you're, uh, people could call you many things, but you keep not getting weaker physically. Um, yeah, that's, that's another thing about age, too. It's like, you know, like I'm getting stronger physically at this age. So that's why, like, I'm kind of skeptical about the whole the aging thing and you're did you just turn 38 or 39 39 okay getting up there okay all right so i think we're done with the the youtube topic um u.s chess school so what what have been the latest developments in uh in the u.s chess school man the u.s chess school is just it's insane these days what's going on in in the chess world uh every year it's like there's this this is just this like exponential growth of chest strength uh, in very young kids, and it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And at some point, it's just like, like I don't know what to do. Um, their kids are just so strong, and we only have so much space in our camps for them. It's like the kids that we can't invite to our camps, 
like seven years ago would have been like, obviously we would want them in our camps and they would be like one of the first people we would invite. And now it's like, there's no space for them because uh, kids are so strong. I mean, you've got an eight year old right now. You understand eight years old is young, right? Pretty young. Yeah. And he's 2100. Like, I, I don't, it's like almost impossible. But I, I mean, this kid is really strong. So what are these kids doing? Like, I mean, we've talked a lot about the changes in technology, but do you have a sense, yeah. uh, like making chess training easier, but do you have a sense of like exactly what, how they're spending their time? Yes. Um, kids are, kids are getting smarter somehow, like with their study habits. I mean, so what's there's a bunch example? of kids that impress me. Well, uh, forget, forget the, I mean, obviously these kids would love to be shouted out and feel, feel free okay. to do that. But like, what are they doing? Like, are they, is it tactics training? Are they reading? I mean, I'm sure it's a little of both, but is there one predominant habit that you feel like they have that, that well, leads to them exploding? Well, tactics training is good up to a certain point, but like once you're past 2000, there's so much more you have to do. So, um, I think it's just like total immersion into chess, like I'm going to name a few kids because that'll help me give specific examples. Um, and, and the ones that like have the really special chess habits, they're always like one of the very, the very, very top ones. Cause it, you, you see a room of like super talented kids at these schools and there's always like one or two whose study habits stand out. And then you look at the rating list, they're always like number one, two or three. Uh, so I feel like there's an obvious correlation. Um, one thing is, so there's a kid at ETN. Um, he is number two, I think just right behind Christopher Yu. <clears throat> and we had him in our camp two years ago, or, or maybe a year and a half or something. And, you know, he was pretty good at that time. He knew some stuff, but not like everything. And then I had him in a, a camp like more recently. And he just knew like so many famous games. Like I would show a game and he would be like, oh, I think I've seen this. It's blah, blah, blah. And nobody else in the room had seen it. Huh. And, you know, like, so they just like, they just devour the information, like the Kasparov's books, for example. Uh, I actually forget the name. Oh, Great Predecessors. Like the really top ones, they're going to have read every single one of those, uh, especially like the early ones. Um, they're going to – they just – they study many hours a day. They have a good feel for what's important. I'm not sure how they get it. I think the coaches these days are really smart. Uh, there's a lot of high-quality coaching going around, and – they kind of guide students towards the, the things they should be doing. And the ones who are super talented and really motivated, they, they just do all the right things on their own. I mean, there's this kid, Eric Yuhan Lee from California. I think he's ranked number three in the country. He's like 10 years old, 2100-ish or something. Um, <clears throat> we'll have a chess camp. And during the break when everyone's playing bug house, you know what he's doing? Uh, playing basketball. <laughs> close he's in he gets out some chess book and is in the hallway studying this book and i'm like what are you doing <laughs> and you know this is why he's great it's just like they just have this, this endless endless thirst for like more and more knowledge and you know at, at that age you just soak it all up uh, and, and i don't even know how some of these kids are getting so good these are just examples i can see with my own eyes because uh, when they when when you're in a class and you're showing a game and there's like one or two people who just clearly have more chess kind of like culture knowledge and, and stuff like that, you realize that you know there's a reason why they're number one or number two in the country. Um, so did I answer that question well? No, that was that was really <laughs> good. I mean, and it, I mean, it makes sense, crazy. you know, in all the in all the like talent <laughs> versus. Uh, 
you know, work debates, um, I, I think it's always important to point out that talent, you know, it it might be a prerequisite, but it's work. Like yes. beyond that, like work is just so important to just put the time in and there's no substitute for just reading books. There's <laughs> time, tried and true formula for uh, learning to um, learning to excel at something as, as John Donaldson just, just discussed about Bobby Fisher. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, definitely talent is important. I think I haven't done any big studies, but I have a, I have a feeling it's important. I think loving chess, like really, really loving it, super important. Uh, being happy to work on it and just read and play all day. You know, if you really enjoy that, like if you don't do it because like you're supposed to, but you do it because every moment of it is like fascinating to you. Kind of like the book Flow, which I believe you've read. Yes. Yeah. If if studying chess puts you in that flow mindset where you kind of like forget about everything else that's happening – then you're in a you're in a very good situation as a chess player. Uh, also, money is really important. I think like it's hard if you're if you don't have the resources that the other children have, unfortunately. But has that been an are, issue in terms of like the kids that you invite? Like, have there been kids who would love to come but they can't afford it? Um, like, can't afford not to a, fly somewhere. I wouldn't say it's that. <clears throat> it's more that it's hard to get to the level where you sh- you would even get invited if you have uh, serious financial problems. Yeah, I know that's uh, something that Simon Williams was talking about, the British chess scene back when I had him on, and he mentioned that he felt like chess was becoming kind of a, an, an unequal game like because mm-hmm. uh, it's a bit of an arms race with how good kids are becoming, and it's just like if you don't have a personal coach and you don't have the resources to travel and play all the time, it's becoming harder to keep up. Do you agree with yeah. that? I think if you if you want to think about being like world champion or like something like that, then probably it really helps to have a lot of resources as a kid. But you can still, of course, be very strong um, in any situation. There are kids right now who I'm quite sure don't have, you know, you know that much money, or their parents don't have that much, who are doing very well, ranked even like the top five or ten for their age in the country. Um, but I think there's a difference between being like number, like to be number one and to be like a, a world championship type t- level talent. I think you do need those resources, or at least it's very, very helpful. I don't want to say need. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's sad, but true. I, I, hopefully, if chess can continue to grow, maybe we can get some sort of uh, foundation or <coughs> fellowship going where like the kids. The kids who show early promise get a little it's more tough, support. though, because part of showing that promise is is like doing you can't you just don't show it out of thin air. You know what I mean? So it's like hard to identify which child is like a special talent yeah. until until they've already used their resources and finance you know their parents' finances to show you if that makes any sense. No, for so sure. So it's like it, so it's like really difficult problem. Like I don't know how the US chess school can exactly solve this problem because you know, does it help to invite somebody who doesn't have that many resources to a camp where everyone's currently 2-300 points higher rated even if they may have more like a lot of raw talent? I, I don't know if it's It probably super helps helpful. their I mean it helps their chess for sure. Sure, but I'm not sure it's like the solution. I don't I don't know that I think it's not quite our area. That we, we can like it, like address so easily. <clears throat> okay, well, if anyone listening has any ideas, you know, shout out us on Twitter, send me an email, whatever. 
Um, but yeah, it's an issue I think just people need to keep an eye on. Um, yeah, I just wanted to bring it up. Like I want to yeah. acknowledge that it is an issue. And generally, I mean, I've, you know, there's all this literature about the middle class thinning out, you know, uh, mm-hmm. whatever, like everything being done with computers where like if you're not a knowledge worker, there's not as much space. And I think that that can trickle down to the next generation where like if you're the child of a knowledge worker, you have plenty of resources. But if you're not, you might not. But anyway, it's good to at least, at least be aware of the problem. Um, so, Greg, the first time we had you on, I'm going to reveal a, a little-known fact. We left about 20 oh minutes on the cutting room floor because we were both so terrible at podcasting, uh, yeah. me, me in particular, um, that you know we just let it go <laughs> a little bit too long and uh, sure. decided that less was more. And that's actually the only podcast uh, interview where I've made significant cuts. But Oh, wow. I really messed up. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But one of the subjects that you may or may not have had a rant left on the, the cutting room floor was FIDE. So okay. we'll start gently with FIDE. Uh, who, should sure. be the, who should be the next FIDE president? Is, I, is there like people running right now? No, not yet. I think okay, it's I mean, relatively soon, though. I would say that I'm probably not the most qualified to, to answer that question. So you're not going like, to run? Know. Well, I'm not going to run. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. but I mean, I don't know... Who would be good? Um, I know the current situation. Is, should I be answering what I think about the current one, or do you uh, have a follow-up? Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, what, what we seem to have in, in, in FIDE in general is kind of like this battle between money and kind of principle, if that makes sense. So, like, they are bringing a lot of money into chess, for sure. Like top players are getting paid uh i think a lot more than they were like 10 20 years ago but at the same time there are a lot of kind of like moral compromise uh, ethical or moral compromises happening that we you know we have to decide whether it's worth it okay so i mean you uh, might as well there's there's the clear recent example example of this so you might as well name it well yeah i mean there's there's a lot of them i mean like you know the saudi arabia the the FIDE Rapid and Blitz Championship is, of course, uh, the most recent example. I, I assume that's what you're referring to. Yes, and I, I think <laughs> okay. uh, most listeners will will be familiar with the backstory. But uh, so they hosted a tournament there, but there were certain preconditions where, like, people from Israel couldn't play, and it's not, um, you know, the most tolerant of societies. So there was mm-hmm. a lot of protest <clears throat> about it, but they also had a big prize fund and. It was only announced a month before the uh, the event was scheduled, and everyone's like, "What's happening? What's happening?" There's no details, yeah. uh, so clearly they, you know, I mean, <coughs> one could infer that they were not getting the funding they desired, and then this funding materialized, but it's not mm-hmm. in the ideal place. Yes, that uh, <laughs> sounds great. I mean, there's like a, so many things we could talk about. But we can talk about that one for now, and it's it's basically this like clear example of like, do you want the money? Or do you want to say my principles are more important? It bothers me that players from Israel can't play. No amount of money can make up for that, and and so I'm not going to play. Um, you know, like it, it's easy for me, who's not playing, to to say what I would think or what I would do. I mean, I think I wouldn't play if I was like really good. Um, but you know, it's always easy for me to for anyone watching on the sidelines to say what they would do. Right. But you know, I, I really respect somebody like, for example, Hikaru Nakamura, who put his money where his mouth was. Like a lot of people played, and they still kind of like badmouth the tournament in in the sense that there were those restrictions on Israeli players. But they played anyway, 
you know, they cashed their checks. But Hikaru, he he refused to play. He said why, and I yeah, think and right away he spoke up about yeah. it. Yeah, um, like no hesitation. And but, he's uh, good at rapid. He's good at blitz. He could have won. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we don't know who the real champion. Well, I don't want to take away people's championships, but I mean, Hikaru obviously could have done very well. Yeah, and Anna Muzicic, um I hope I pronounced her name right, but I, prob- yeah, but I probably that's, didn't. That's why <laughs> I didn't want to say her name, because I was, worried, I was um, worried I would pronounce it wrong. I'm always but, yeah. willing to mispronounce someone's name. But uh, she, I mean, obviously, I don't know everyone's financial situation. I know Hikaru does, yeah. does well for himself, but one, one could reasonably guess that the money probably meant more to her than Hikaru. And she still said, no, I'm not going. So, yeah, hats off to her. Yeah, I mean, and again, I don't want to. I don't want to say that the people who went are like wrong uh, or anything like that to have gone and played. I mean, almost everyone did play, but I still want to give credit to those who didn't because I think it's it's a, a nice brave. I mean, it's just you know, it's good to say that the money, you know, to show that your principles matter more than money. I think is a a noble thing and should be celebrated. So, congratulations to those two and and. and Others who did, I think there are others as well who didn't do it, or maybe just lesser profile than, yeah. than those two. Um, so, do you think uh, would it have been better to not have the tournament? Because that seems like that was basically the choice. <laughs> I don't know, um, man. You know, like okay, my see, like I lean on the side of kind of this is ridiculous. You know, you can't just ban like a whole country of really strong players from playing i mean you're you're a renowned social justice warrior so yeah but i mean like on the other hand um you know it would take a lot of money out of the chess community i mean i think it is i think it's better but i don't want to be naive about which is it. better also to not okay to not have a tournament in a place where, where certain countries are restricted from playing um Okay, but yeah. you know, like I could be wrong. I don't. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's <laughs> sorry that I. Uh, it's good to acknowledge gray areas. I. I also like. I don't consider it. You know, a slam dunk in either direction. I personally think it's better to have it. And uh, I. You know, of course, I like that people spoke out right away and that they yeah. stood up for their principles and refused to play. And even what Magnus did, you know, where he played and then said, "We've got to do better next year." Like I think. Yeah. Because next year, presumably, there's more lead time. Although I think there's like a three-year contract. So uh, okay, but but I mean, they can like there's more time to to have a public conversation about it and see what happens. Um, okay, anything else? I mean, you touched about how this is sort of a microcosm for like broad issues of FIDE. So uh, any anything else about FIDE? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, they, you know, there's obvious been lots of corruption with the elections. I mean, the way the elections are run, how every country gets exactly one vote. Um, you know, the, the issue in the FIDE World Cup with Kovalyov getting oh, like, yelled yeah. at by, you know, Asma Parshvili. It's just so much stuff like this. Uh, it, it's just very weird because somehow they bring huge money into chess. Like, like people constantly say that chess doesn't get respect because it's like tournaments are held in like weird places sometimes but i actually think chess is getting the most um level of at least like respect and money that it's ever gotten before like it's at its peak <clears throat> i mean you know like so many tournaments they're high level with big prize funds uh, and 
and they're kind of regular now. Like the candidates always happens. Like there was a time when people didn't know if the candidates was going to happen, what the format was going to be. We kind of have a system going now. Yeah. But at the same time, like uh, the leadership is corrupt. Um, so I, I, I it's just frustrating because <laughs> like I, I, I don't like that type of like situation. Um, but everyone's kind of just living with it and, uh, you know, living under this kind of leadership that doesn't do a lot of the things the right way. Um, I, I don't know what the alternative would bring because there hasn't been one in 20 years. So we haven't even got a chance to see it. Yeah, it's a tricky issue. Right. I mean, basically, I feel like I don't know. I feel like it would take. It would take someone pretty high profile with a lot of resources to to even think about like changing the leadership structure. So. I mean, I would like a change for sure. The, the reason why I'm like scared to say it too closely is because I'm like then messing with the future of a lot of chess players. Like, right. so it doesn't it doesn't affect me. Yeah, it affects all these players who might suddenly lose a lot of money. Um, so that's like the only reason why I'm like hesitant to say I definitely support this or that. Um, it, it, theoretically, I do. I want somebody in charge of FIDE who's like kind of more transparent, who who raises money from less sketchy sources, if that makes sense. Um, but again, it doesn't affect me personally, so it's like I, I want to be careful before I, I say something. Because like when I talk about politics and you know the United States, everything actually affects me personally. Or, you know, people some, I, some people would beg to differ about that, but I not I, every you know what I mean, like yeah. I, I guess it's similar in this in the sense that there are some things that affect other people a lot more than me. Right, yeah. But yeah, but, chess you know, chess pros are like your brethren. So I Yeah. I yeah. So Okay, so we'll leave it there. I mean <coughs> you know, we don't certainly I don't you don't either have the final answers unless you know unless you're actually going to run for free day president hint, should I run would hint, you like hint, support hint. me in your show <laughs> oh yeah the, you'll get that huge perpetual chess uh back can, can I get bizarre of as my like, running mate <laughs> yeah he's got to be your VP yeah <laughs> yeah all right um all right so chess improvement Greg huge topic I mean oh for oh, one boy. thing I wanted to ask you about the U.S. chess school is like you have so many, I mean, you do a lot of the teaching, but you've had so many uh, chess personalities and legendary educators come in, chess educators. Mm -hmm. So is there any like standout lesson or presenter that you would like to highlight without like making it, everyone else seethe with jealousy that they weren't mentioned? Well, everyone's, you know, everyone's really good in their own way. I mean, I, I could just name all of our coaches. <laughs> no, come on. Uh, what about something that resonated with you? I mean, a lot of these guys are like stronger than you. So is there anything that they... Whoa, they, whoa. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> not physically. Um, not, you know, their elbows might be stronger, but I don't yeah, know about I their chest. Like, well, I really liked... <clears throat> I always really was a fan of Kaidanov because, um, you know, he has a very logical approach to the game. Very systematic. Um, I really like how he talks about time trouble. You know, usually at all of his camps, he'd give like at least one lecture on it. What does he say? Well, there's just a bunch of rules, like how one of them he likes to talk about is you should never spend more than 15 minutes on a move. Uh, at that point, you're just kind of like wasting time thinking about you know, nothing. And, and I'm sure there are even some exceptions to that. But for the most part, like if you're spending more than 15 minutes on a move, you're making a mistake. 
Um, that always stuck with me because it's really easy to remember. It's just like a simple rule that <laughs> you can say in one sentence. No, the heuristics are helpful for sure. I, I think, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think like these one one sentence kind of chess rules are like some of the most valuable things you can get uh, out of Can you think of any of other examples? I can think of a ton. I can think of another one he, he said that, that kind of stuck with me because it's only one sentence long and I can't like pay attention for like three sentences. Uh-huh. Um, so it was like when there's a pawn on C4 and, and D4, you know, like let's say you're white and then black has a pawn on C5 and D5. Right. So like, you know, both pawns are like attacking each other. He said basically there's like a Russian rule that you should always capture one of them if it's your move. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I don't... Just because otherwise the opponent's going to get to choose which to capture, and usually it's not best to keep the tension in that case, and you should pick, you should capture one of the pawns. So, like, these rules are very nice. I mean, and obviously there are exceptions, you know, when you get to a certain level of chest strength, you can, you can, you take the rule, and then you think, okay, does it apply here, or is there an exception? Yeah, that's but sort of the founding thesis of uh, John Watson's uh, writing. Okay. But yeah, I mean, basically the idea is the rules are important. I okay. really, really think they're important. Um, any the more any of others you have, can think of? Well, from specific lessons or just rules that I have in my Rules head? that you have. Oh, I have. We like all want billion. shortcuts, so <laughs> hook I us like up. A, I have like a billion of them. Okay, so let's say you're white and you have a pawn in H5 and your opponent has like a fianchetto bishop, like H7, G6, F7 pawn set up. Uh-huh. Um, generally in that situation... It's best to, and you know, like say the king is castled there too, so you're kind of like attacking. I think it's generally best to delay capturing or pushing the pawn, unless you know you get something really beneficial out of it. Just hanging it there, like just leaving it there as long as possible, is really uh, tough for the opponent to deal with because they always have to worry about you capturing it. They always have to worry about pushing to h6. But at the same time, they have trouble capturing you on h5 because it like messes up their structure and their king side. So I've seen a lot of games like this and. And sometimes when I show these positions to kids, they will immediately start like thinking about whether they should start making these captures or pushing the pawn before they really have to. Okay. So that's one. That was more than uh, one sentence I'd like to put It out. was, no, but it, the explanation was more than one sentence. Yeah. But the actual, the rule is, is just one sentence. Okay. That when you have that pawn there, you should kind of try to keep the tension because it's tough for your opponent. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm sure I have a billion more. I mean, like, I actually, I grabbed a couple from, or at least one from your, your, you did like one of those Twitter things where you said 70 things or whatever. Oh, tell me, tell me which ones that you okay. grabbed. Okay. You said learning most theoretical end games is a waste of time, except really common ones like Lucina, Philidor. General rules are more important. Yeah. So like a, a general rule is like knight end games are, are similar to king and king and pawn end games. Like, that's a really important rule. Uh, knowing how important king activity is in the knight endgame is, like, super valuable. Um, but not so into the table bases. The table bases are kind of, yeah. Like, like, there's a position that we, we went over in our recent U.S. chess school with Armin uh, Ambert Sumian coaching, and it was a theoretical position from Dvoretsky's endgame manual. It was, like, rook and four against rook and three, where white has the past a pawn. I'm falling asleep already. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but you know you got the extra pawn on the A file, and you right. got like, your three pawns. Black has their three pawns, and there was an odd number of players. So I played against one of the kids, um, so they couldn't beat me. And then we like with the extra pawn, then we switched sides. And you know, like this position was in the book, and I had some vague idea of the the general idea of how to win it. 
Um, now, and, and so I, I went ahead. I, I didn't know exactly, though. So I was like, I knew it was kind of the idea. I didn't know exactly why, but it made sense to me. And, and the point is, like, just kind of knowing the general was, was much more important than knowing exact moves there. Like, I knew I had to activate my king in a certain way, but, like, I, I just couldn't really remember the exact details. Okay. I don't know if that's a, a perfect example or not. But just, to like, generally, like just knowing, like, a very small amount of something is much more practical than, like, kind of memorizing some table base, uh, so table that's, base that's type contra thing. So that's to the saying that a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Uh, no, no, I mean, yeah, it could also be a dangerous thing. <laughs> but I'm, like, I'm kind of strong enough where I'm not going to do something really stupid because yeah, I think I remember something. Yeah, you're not dogmatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another example of what I mean by that is, like, just general endgame ideas, like, do not hurry. Like, you know, if you have a, a good position, you're up a pawn, like, to not, like, you know, start rushing and stuff. So that's totally not theoretical at all. It's just kind of, like, a general, general idea to, like, be patient. Uh, and that is more important than knowing how to maybe mate with like two knights against a pawn in this like theoretical end game. Right. Okay. Um, one more of your tweets. This is not rule related, but mm-hmm. um, you said Lasker's world record for being world champion for the longest period of time is a complete <laughs> farce. Ducked Kappa and Rubenstein. This is like a Donald Trump tweet in the way it's phrased. <laughs> Ducked Kappa and Rubenstein for 10 years. Bad. Oh, I'm just kidding. I didn't say bad. You didn't say <laughs> you didn't say bad, but but you said the rest of it. Um, so, anything to elaborate on that? I was impressed with your chess history knowledge and your your dormant uh, your key moments in chess history series. Um, oh, but, thank you. And I meant to research Lasker so that I wouldn't embarrass myself in this segment, but it didn't happen. So let me tell you something about Lasker. By the way, Lasker incredibly strong, uh, amazing player. So I'm not trying to say like Lasker is some kind of like weak player. Like, the guy was a legend. Um, his chest was at a level that nobody had ever seen before for, like, in, until Capablanca and, like, Rubenstein arrived. Uh, but, you know, and there was, like, he didn't play a match against any of the top players. He kept playing Janowski and Marshall. And it's just like, okay, you can't just be world champion. We can't treat that record seriously if he literally never played them. Like, I think his, what did he play, Capablanca, like, 21 or 1918 or something? I actually... Okay. All right, I think on. 1921. Before we continue, I, I have to mm-hmm. ask you, um, so our chess development, like people who heard our other interview know that we, we grew up together. I was a year ahead of you in school, and there, yeah. was, a, there was a brief period where you, where you didn't just crush me in chess every game. But, <laughs> but then, like, uh, you know, you got stronger than me. But one thing I'm curious about is, like, all that information you have about Lasker, like, did you learn that in high school, like when you were no. getting better than me at chess, or did you learn it subsequently, like as a teacher? Because I just don't know that much about Lasker, and I don't know if it's like what the genesis of that is. Um, that's a really good question because I think if I knew it when we were in high school, that I would have been one of the like abs- I would be like playing the U.S. Championship now, <laughs> or like at some point I would have been regularly one of the top players in the country. I think I didn't study as hard as I could have. Because uh, I didn't care about like stuff like that. This is all recent because you know I'm teaching the U.S. Chess School. I need to have knowledge. Yeah, and in fact, I think on our first podcast, you kind of—I can't remember the exact conversation—but I know that a couple months later, you you texted me and you were like, "By the way, I was totally wrong about like underestimating how important it is to know chess history for a young player." 
Sorry, what did I say? Did you, I, I, said I can't remember what we said on the initial podcast, but then you came back later and said that you felt like you, you downplayed how important it is to know chess history. And that, like you're saying now, if you had uh, known, known then what you know now, you would have been a much better player. Well, it's not even just about knowing it. It's about caring so much about chess that you need to know it. Like, that's the level of it, – it's just kind of like co- correlated. Like, just knowing these facts is not going to make you strong. It's like anyone listening to the show, if you go up like and read Lasker's biography, you're not going to gain 100 points. Uh, the point is you have to be so obsessed with chess that the idea of not – you know, you just want to know everything. Right. And recently I wanted to because I thought it would make me a better teacher to like be able to show Lasker's games and to know stuff about him or Steinitz's games uh, or you know, any of these old you know, famous players like Rubenstein, Capablanca. But as a kid, I didn't care. I was just like, I just want to play chess. Right. And I think that's the difference between somebody like me who is, you know, very good and somebody who's like world class or great. They just need to know everything. Okay, that's a good insight. Um, all right, Greg. So chess book recommendations. I gave you a warning. Yes, <laughs> beforehand. I have a lot. I didn't think about that much, but there's some that I can just pop up off the top of my head. Okay, let's have them. Um, I, I bet you could even guess the authors I'm going <laughs> to come up with because I feel like they, they pop up a lot. I'm going to start with Dvoretsky, uh, and I'm going to come up with specific books by these, these people also. But Dvoretsky is great, wonderful, wonderful chess coach, like totally revolutionized the, the world of chess training. And you worked with him a bit. I did. I had like, I think, two, two private lessons with him. And, you know, it's like a really tough it's interesting working with him because like as a child in the United States, you kind of like think you're like God's gift to everything when you're like highly ranked. Well, yeah, you come like our, we're basically a previous generation and you like, and there were no, I mean, you were basically the strongest you and Dean Epolito and a couple others were like the strongest American born chess players of our generation. Like it was much more rare then. Yeah. And it's like when you work with him, I, you know, he had some issues with Josh Waitzkin, and I can kind of feel where they came from because I loved lessons with him. I thought they were awesome. You know, he always told me I was talented, but clearly I was nothing special to him. Like, you know, he'd seen so many players who were more talented, more skilled than me. Um, and it's it, at that time in my life, there was probably not that many coaches I would train with who had seen so many more talented players and more stronger ones. So I feel like... You know, he's never going to give you like that kind of adulation that you're going to get from, you know, a, a, a standard coach then when, you know, you're one of the best players in the country. Uh, and, you know, you could kind of feel that. Like I would show him some game and, you know, he would tell me the things that were wrong with it. I would like, I, you know, I would want to show him some game where I won. So he'd be very impressed. But, you know, of course, he wanted to show that he wanted to see the game where I didn't play that well. Uh, and and what's interesting is I I just showed him as far as I can remember one game I ever played, and the lessons he taught me from just that one game I still remember them today, and I can't really say that about any other. What was the game? Any other coaches? It was a game I played against Rogelio Barcenia in New York, and there was like this typical positional theme that I just had no idea about, and he was just like, oh yeah, this is a standard idea. You just do this, this, and this, and I was like, okay. But then as I got, you know, and I, I didn't even like kind of register it then, but as time went on, I was like, oh, you know what? This is like the same thing Dvoretsky talked to me about. 
like sometimes I feel like there's like a delayed learning process where you, you only realize how valuable something was like long after the fact. Um, so, I mean, I just feel like he was probably just a really good coach for something like that. Cause you know, he like targeted that one thing. And I think a lot of coaches are better at that now. I think they've learned from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are just more systematic. They, they know what to target when they analyze a game. Like they, they, they'll find the moment that like, is the kind of thing that will come up over and over again, and they'll pinpoint it to the student. Um, so I think he, he has influenced a lot of people. And I, I just want to say, his before I get too far along just talking about how great he is, I want to pick a specific book of his that I like. Um, okay. It's the, you know, he has these two series, and I think School of Future Champions is definitely the best one to start with. The other one's kind of like really heavy reading. Um, and School of Future Champions, book one, I think it's Secrets of Chess Training, but I could be wrong about the exact title. But it's the first book, and there's just so many, so many great chapters in that book. I mean, they're just like revolutionary at the time. And even today, you won't find anything like them. Like there's, there's this one book where he, he talks about these two women players that were playing in a world championship candidates match and before the games he he pinpoints all of their strengths and all of their weaknesses like with like little codes like he talks about what they are and then after every move he kind of like writes like whether it's like you know he'll like say this is one of the strengths of the player and then he'll pinpoint one of their weaknesses and you can just see it in the game you can kind of see like their their strengths and weaknesses in action I thought that's like an amazing chapter. Okay, good stuff. But, but just, just the book in general is great. And all of his books are great, but that's that's my favorite one. Uh, the Endgame Manual is, of course, very useful also. And I know you draw on his material oh. a lot for your uh, your lessons. I've oh, sat, totally. Sat in I on mean, a couple. Totally. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a real shame that he passed away about a year ago, maybe, was it? Because um, he still had so much to offer. Like, he was yeah. not done. He was not done at all. All right, what else? What other books? Um, well, we got to go with uh, Jacob Agard, right? Yeah, I mean, you can't come <laughs> Has on... Has anyone the, ever mentioned him on the show? You can't come on the podcast without naming his books, so... But I'm going to just pick one of his that I think was, like, the, the best one. Because uh, it's the one that I definitely got the most of, out of in the sense that when I teach students, I can use these positions a lot. And it's his positional playbook. Okay. Uh, the, the more recent one... So what is it called? Grandmaster Preparation Positional Play? That's probably the name. Okay. And it's just mostly a bunch of diagrams for solving, but I thought they were like a really good level uh, for the typical like decent to strong chess player. Because like what I would do in this book. Like what rating roughly? Well, up to me, but like um, anywhere under, gosh, I don't know. Like anyone can get something out of it. Like 1800 would surely get something out of it. But I feel like 2000 to 2200 is like the... 2000 to 2400 is like the perfect zone for that book. Um, what I did in that book and some other books is I literally solved every puzzle in the book and I kept track of my statistics. So I know how many I got right. Was this during uh, your, your brief tournament comeback? Yeah, uh, that was more when I was like trying to prepare material for my camps. Because okay. I, I, I feel like there's some books where the puzzles are too difficult. Like, like if, a, if there's a book where I can't even solve half the puzzles... It's too difficult for most people. Like, 
you know, it's just like, why, why do you need that if you're 2200, if I can't even solve them? Like, you need something a little more Can you think achievable. of a book where that happened? Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also an Agard book. So I'm not saying it's a bad book at all. I'm just saying, like, you should start with positional play. Because that one I solved about 80%, I think. Mm-hmm. Which, one uh, which, I think a, which one was even more advanced? And then it was basically the continuation of positional play, which was strategic play. I think he even mentions at some point it's kind of like a, a continuation of the book, but like a bit more difficult. And I think I solved like under 60%, but above 50 I, I can't remember the exact number. And I, I generally feel like that's... Mo- for most people, that's like means the puzzles are too difficult but i still think there is a lot of instructive ones okay. um and you know he doesn't have to write books that are like super easy of course yeah no no uh, I, I wasn't saying anything bad about it at all i was just curious if anyone like you know the the three percent of listeners who are stronger than you or whatever it is, <laughs> yeah like they I might mean, I'm, maybe somebody else would would who's lower rated than me would do better than me also i don't know but i think like Knowing those numbers is useful, like that I just gave, like because obviously nobody else has probably done that. Right. So eighty percent for positional play, like fifty-five for strategic play, means that you know now you have a pretty good idea of what level they're geared towards. Yeah. Okay. Any other book recommendations before we uh, move yes. on? Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, Johan Helston. He yeah, you book. recommended that to me. That's a good book. Uh, what's it called? Mastering oh God, Mastering Chess Strategy? Is that it? Oh, man. I'm going to butcher it, too. It's over on my shelf somewhere, but I can't, I, I, I can't I see think, it from here. I think it's Mastering Chess Strategy. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but it's a book about like strategical play, and it has like 500 puzzles at the end or something. And these puzzles, I, I, I didn't do what I did with Agard's book, where I tried to solve them all and kept track of my statistics. But I, I would say I would probably would have gotten like 80% in that book also, which is, I think, like the perfect number because it means like, 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 what do I mean? When I get 80%, usually like half of them are just automatic to me. They're like, I see them and I know instantly what the answer is because it's just a pattern. And so it means there's a lot of patterns that people need to know in these books. Okay, um, yeah. So that's why I, I really recommend that book. And it is also. Mastering Chess Strategy. Um, okay, Wow. So, I, I mean, you know, I probably could come up with more books if I thought, but those are the three. That's, that, that that's good enough. And I actually, head. I don't know. I like the Houston book, too. Um, and I don't think anyone's recommended that. And the Dvoretsky stuff was, was really good. So I think people will enjoy that. Um, so, Greg, we're, we're winding up. I, the main thing I want to do from here is think uh, mm-hmm. I've been as a as a podcast host. I've been endeavoring to draw more stories out of people. And I was thinking, okay. like, in, I'm in the unique position of, like, you know, having been alongside you for for a lot of uh, our lives. So more so than other people, I was able to think about this myself. So one thing that I thought of was that you played Gary Kasparov in a simul many, many years ago. So yes. what, like how much do you remember about that? Uh, one thing I remember I'll say is like, I remember a lot. Okay, cool. So, oh, all right. <laughs> well, I'll, what were you going to remember? Well, the one thing I want to say is obviously it's a big deal, like thinking about it now, but, um, there was something about this was like the internet was in its infancy and it, to me it felt like a much bigger deal because like chess superstars like that seemed um, uh, more ephemeral, you know, like they Uh seemed so out there. So to be in the room with Kasparov, like I I went (laughs) with you to the Simo, it was an amazing thing. And obviously Mm -hmm. like if I ever got to have him on the podcast, that would be like the thrill of a lifetime. Um, But Nonetheless, he doesn't feel as inaccessible as he did at the time. So, anyway, what are your memories of uh, 
of playing well, him in the song. Well, first of all, I remember how you helped me with my wardrobe. <laughs> do, do, you, do you remember I don't, this? I don't remember this, no. Okay, well, I was going to go wearing like shorts and a t-shirt, and, uh-huh. and the t-shirt was like one of these blue champion shirts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you know, you're making a joke about like, I'm just going to wear it, just right. a random shirt that says champion on it. <laughs> uh, so eventually, uh, I remember we, we, we found like a, some kind of jacket or something more dignified that I, I could wear. Uh, and then I did that. Um, so what I remember was, okay, so, you know, when, when people are young, some people have, like, mental weaknesses. Like, I, I remember, like, I had this issue with thymos where, like, I had a big ego. Maybe I still do. I don't know. But when I was young, I definitely had one. I'm like, I don't care if this guy's world champion. He can't beat me in the thymos. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell does he think he is? Which is like completely insane, of course, right. because, uh, you know, he's Kasparov. But in my mind, I was like, there's no reason why this guy should beat me. Um, and I know that like, this is a really stupid thing. But, and, you know, I also had a sign with somebody weaker than him who beat me, and I just couldn't believe it. I, I mean, weaker than Kasparov is like everyone. Yeah, who, do, who um, was it? It was Kavalik. I, like, okay. He came to UMBC to play like a training simul against us. And I was like, is this a joke? Like, really? Like, who, right. <laughs> who is Kavalik? <laughs> I couldn't understand why they would think this guy had any chance to beat me in a simul. And he crushed me. And I was like, okay, well, I just wasn't, you know, underestimated him or something. Um, but that was, you know, this is like just a failing of, of my weakness. And, you know, maybe this is one of the things that helped me back is I had these kind of thoughts like this. But yeah, against Kasparov, um, I played a C3 Sicilian. I played this move that, I, this, I mean, I played this line that I thought was like maybe slightly better for me. Um, but, you know, he just somehow slowly outplayed me and I was like, damn, I lost. <laughs> um, and what was yeah, the, I refresh my memory so well. about the format of the simul. Like, how m- oh, he, I'm sorry, that was not a very good uh, portrayal of the game. It was, he was well, you know, players. this is an audio-only podcast, so you don't need to like rattle off the moves or anything. Yeah, I mean. But just paint a picture. I mean, I have more to say about, though, because he contacted me about the game later. So, okay. Um, there were four players on our team. There was, like, two IMs, maybe, me and an FM. And then he also played, like, four local young players who were not that strong. So he's playing eight of us at once. The the four players, I think, were very – he didn't have to put much attention to them. But, you know, us four at least were, you know, title players, so he had to really focus. And I think it was a clock simul as well. No joke. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, after the fact, he, he would talk to me on ICC sometimes, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he would come on as a guest and speak to me, Wow. Uh, which I haven't actually not talked to him that many people about, uh, for various reasons he would do this. Like, I mean, he was a big Bulls fan, for example. Huh. Oh no, 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 he wasn't. He wanted the Bulls to lose. He was, uh, he, you know, the Pacers were trying to beat the Bulls one year. Yeah. And he would come on to me and tell me how, you know, he kind of wanted them to win. And I think in my mind at the time, I thought it was like he was almost competitive with Michael Jordan. It's because they were like both the best in the world. Right. At, at something. And if, if Jordan lost, then like, oh, yeah, Kasparov was like the, the undisputed king. Huh. Um, but yeah, he told me like, he asked me like, why did I just play for a draw in our game? And I was like, I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't really trying to play for a draw. I just didn't know what else to do. Right. Um, 
So, yeah, it was interesting. That's an awesome story. I didn't know he was an NBA fan. I mean, so he and Carlson both. Oh, yeah, he was. So, listeners, you got to watch the NBA if you want to be world champion. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, anything else from that story? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think there's one issue where, like, when you look at the game online, somehow the moves are entered wrong. Like, you know, the game got in the database. Right. And there's, like, a mistake in the... In the notation. I, right. I think I figured out how to fix it, but I'm not sure. It it's just a memory I have. I might be wrong. Okay. Well, maybe maybe now's the time to issue a correction. <laughs> Do you have yeah. any other – so any other stories about, like, brushes with, you know, chess legends or um, any other, like, standout experiences from your varied chess career? God, you know, I, I, I probably do. Um, yeah, I didn't. I like, didn't prep you for this. Yeah, if you did, I would. Be, I would probably have them. With okay, well, you'll tongue. be back in another year. So. Oh really? Do I get a yearly show? Yeah, I, that's that for listeners wondering. My basic. I think I might have said this uh, before, um, but that's going to be my basic goal with returning guests: is try to space it out a year if I don't uh, get too lazy with chasing the, people down. Okay. You know, that sounds good. That sounds good. I feel like this show is a little different than last year. I feel like last year I was like a crazy ranting lunatic. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> some of that. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this year more reserved, you know? Yeah. No, but it, but it was good. I mean, we, we touched everything, I think. I mean, I have a little few goofy subjects that I think we'll leave alone. Um, seems really? That pe- seems that people primarily like it when we talk about, I would say people rank it, one, talk about chess, two, mm-hmm. talk about life. But yeah. anything beyond that, I mean, obviously life is a broad category, but they don't want to hear about the niches for the most part. So, so they don't want to know about my CrossFit? CrossFit, Bitcoin, poker. I think we're going to leave them all alone. Unbelievable. Um, but uh, maybe next time people can let me know if I'm wrong. Okay. So obviously, Greg, what are you going to be doing during the protest league? Like, all right, just wrapping this up. Like you you are i know wrench always like when he's announcing it's like he's got the the earbud in his ear and people yelling at him and he's trying to like you know he does a great job like covering the event while like being the sort of uh orchestrator is that what's mm-hmm. going to be happening with you too i mean i'll be doing a lot of things during um you know making sure the website's up to date uh just making sure no there's no like weird issues uh you know stuff happens like people's internet goes bad or somebody can't log in should we so, touch you know, I just on have to, should we touch What's on that? the cheating? Everyone's always concerned about the cheating. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we do have more systems in play this year with, with cheating. Well, one thing that's always tricky with cheating is like chess.com has a really sophisticated system against cheating. I've seen it. I even know how to interpret the results now and everything. But literally anytime you say anything about it, like even the slightest thing, you help the cheaters somewhat. Right. And, and this should be obvious, but it doesn't satisfy people. So it's kind of tough when you talk about it on like these forums. Like I come on, I'm saying like, I listen, I love their site. I love their cheating system, but I'm not going to say anything. I signed a non-disclosure and I really don't want people to get away with cheating. I don't want them to know anything. Yeah. I don't want, and it's hard because like, how are they going to trust us? Right? Like we could just be saying that because we don't have any system at all. And we're just kind of, uh, you know, I don't know. Do you know what I mean, though? So it's like a really hard discussion to have. But I really believe in Chess.com. They have full-time employees whose only job, that's all they do, is catch cheaters. Um, and this year, every player is going to be in camera during their games, whereas in, in last year that wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean, that alone, that's huge. 
Yes. So we're, you know, because we've contracted the league, we have uh, more resources available to like kind of put a camera on everyone during the matches. So like that's going to be huge. Um, and I really believe in our, our anti-cheating team. In our qualifier, for example, we caught zero people cheating, which means that we believe that nobody cheated, like based on what our reports tell us and we, we don't see any reason to think anyone cheated. And that's a really good sign because we're using, we use the same kind of security protocol that we're going to use during the season this year in our qualifier. It's kind of like a test. Uh, we constantly warn them, you know, and these are all new players that never played in the league before. We had 40 teams, 160 players. Nobody cheated. Um, and last year we had much more problems with cheating. So I think we're on the right path. Okay, excellent. All right, well, everyone... As I said earlier, you got to support this endeavor. It's not a chore. It's going to be awesome. So tune in and watch. I think everyone knows where to find you, Greg. Twitter, chess.com. Um, so you guys know how to reach him. You even did like a Reddit thing I saw. Uh, where I did were, a, a chess Reddit, Reddit thing. Like you I posted did. and said, you know, you posted and solicited questions about the Pro Chess League. Oh, that was for our website. Yeah, because I, I you know, I did a lot of work on this website, but if you don't actually talk to the fans, I, I worry that there's like obvious stuff we're leaving out and they helped a lot. They gave me a lot of like obvious ideas that I just kind of didn't think about. Uh, some of which we'll be able to do some of which we may not be able to, but that was super useful. Cool. All right. Well, we're looking forward to it, Greg. We'll get someone in here at some point, one of the many chess.com people to uh, give an update, like as the playoffs approach, if not sooner, I'm sure we'll have some, Exciting. some players on as well. Uh, it's unavoidable. So, <laughs> So, yeah, exciting times. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. All right, great. exciting. Thank you. Uh, to the godfather of perpetual chess, Greg Shahadi. <laughs> Bye-bye. Special shout-out to my PayPal and perpetual partners. I spend about five hours a week working on the show, and while I love doing it, it can be hard to find the time. Without these people, the show would not be possible. So... Special thanks to Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, Chris Wainscott, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Chris Flanagan, Gary Andrews, I am Greg Shahadi, Jason Dunbar, Jennifer Valens, John Fernandez, WGM Jen Shahadi, Jens Green, Johnny McMenamin, Kelly Palmer, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Macaulay Peterson, Matthew Tedesco, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Paul Sweeney, Peter Lux, Ricky Grahava, Rob Lazorchek, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Seymour, Todd Bryant, Victor Vrankulj, FM Zhao Cheng, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks a lot, guys. I will catch you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.